The CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia, looked like an impenetrable fortress. Blocky gray buildings jutted towards the sky. Armed guards controlled who came in and out. But on a sunny day in 2002, Ilanka Dunin finally had the opportunity to go inside. With a guest pass in hand, she entered the front gates and made a beeline to her destination, the center of the CIA's main courtyard. There, in broad daylight, stood a sculpture that had captivated imaginations for over a decade. Made of a large rectangular sheet of metal, the artwork resembled a flag blowing in the breeze, covered in hundreds of capital letters carved in a seemingly random pattern. Ilanka let her fingers hover over its surface. She'd seen every photo and read every description of the artwork that she could find online, but she still didn't know what it meant. Looking around, Elanka searched for any clues she might have missed, but there was nothing. Only granite blocks, a small pond, and lots of serious-looking CIA employees. Elanka felt frustration rise in her stomach. She'd done so much work to get to this point. This was her last-ditch attempt to solve the mystery, and she'd failed. The sculpture was an enigma. And it might stay that way forever. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a one-part episode on Kryptos, a sculpture outside the CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia. The statue has four encoded messages written on its surface, one of which has remained unsolved for over 30 years. Today, we'll discuss the construction of the statue, the fervor with which people have attempted to solve it, and the mysteries it still holds. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy 
taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. In the late 1980s, the CIA added a new headquarters building to their complex in Langley, Virginia. To celebrate, the planners wanted to place an art installation between the old headquarters and the new one. After a long search for the perfect artist, they awarded a $250,000 commission to a sculptor named Jim Sanborn. Sanborn was known for creating puzzling, interactive art. Many of his previous sculptures involved cosmic images, compasses, and hidden meanings. He saw the CIA's commission as an opportunity to explore another interest of his, cryptography. Cryptography is the art of making and breaking codes. Sanborn wanted his sculpture to contain a series of secret messages, and he wanted the codes to be incredibly difficult to crack. So he contacted Edward Scheidt, the head of the CIA's cryptography department. Sanborn's goal was to make a code so tough that it challenged even the most seasoned members of the CIA. He met with Scheidt in secret, and the cryptology expert taught him how to create ciphers, a method of hiding a message by replacing or shuffling around its letters. With Scheidt's help, Sanborn wrote and encrypted four messages. Then he started work on the sculpture itself. The artwork began with a large copper sheet. Sanborn sawed about 1,800 capital letters into the metal, interspersed with the occasional question mark. It looked like an unsolved crossword puzzle. While Sanborn carved these odd patterns, others at the CIA compound tried to spy on the artist. Word of the sculpture had spread among employees, and their interest was piqued. On more than one occasion, police caught intruders climbing ladders and attempting to photograph the unfinished artwork. But their efforts were thwarted, and the project remained under wraps for two years. Then, in 1990, Jim Sanborn and the CIA unveiled the statue for the first time. They called it Kryptos, the Greek word for hidden. Kryptos stood 12 feet tall and 20 feet wide. To a casual observer, its many letters would read as gibberish. The text contained seemingly indecipherable sequences of letters. For example, one section read E-M-U-F-P-H-Z. There were no clear words or spaces, and the interspersed question marks appeared to be included at random. The only distinguishable pattern seemed to be that Kryptos' letters were broken into four distinct quadrants. More than anything, the sculpture seemed like a challenge. It sat just outside the CIA headquarters, taunting the most astute minds in the country. Right away, intelligence officials were on the case. Among them, CIA analyst David Stein set his sights on cracking the cipher. And within a few months, he made a breakthrough. He found that only half of Kryptos was a code. The other half was a clue. The text of Kryptos was split into four quadrants. The two left-hand quadrants were encoded, but the two right-hand quadrants held a decryption key. To decode an encrypted message, you need a key. 
The simplest example of this kind of messaging is called a substitution cipher, and their usage dates back to the height of the Roman Republic. In the 50s BCE, General Julius Caesar used substitution ciphers to fool his enemies. When sending sensitive information, he replaced every letter in his messages with one several positions away in the alphabet. For example, if the alphabet was shifted three times, A would become D, D would become G, and so on. A simple message like good morning would look like complete gibberish, but with a bit of time and patience, the intended recipient could decode it easily if they knew the key. Nowadays, substitution ciphers are so well-known that practically anyone can crack them. So modern codemakers, like Jim Sanborn, are forced to use other more complex forms of substitution, like visioneer tableaus. This gets a little complicated, but stay with us. A visioneer tableau is a type of encryption grid. The alphabet is written along the X and Y axis, with A closest to the origin point on both axes, creating a 26 by 26 table. On each row of the grid, the alphabet is written again, beginning with a letter on the Y axis. This means that the first row begins with the letter A, the second begins with the letter B, and so on. Once you have this grid, you need a message and a code word. Let's say our message is bingo, and our code word is score. To create the encryption, you begin with the first letter of each word, B and S. Then, you find where these letters intersect on the grid. To visualize this, imagine a graph like you might have seen in algebra class. The letters of your message and your code word essentially serve as coordinates, which lead you to a point on the graph. This point contains the encrypted letter. All in all, using a visionaire tableau makes decrypting a message much more difficult. Unless you have the code word, untangling the meaning can be nearly impossible. So in the spirit of making cryptos as enigmatic as possible, Jim Sanborn encrypted his messages with two keywords. But the artist didn't leave code breakers completely helpless. As we mentioned, he included the tableaus needed to solve the mysteries on the statue itself. They make up the sculpture's second two quadrants. When David Stein made this discovery, it was only the first step to solving cryptos. Next, he had to integrate another decryption strategy known as letter frequency. Every language has patterns. In English, E and T are the most common letters. Therefore, when decoding an English passage, it can be helpful to assume that whichever letters appear most often represent E or T. A visionaire tableau disguises these patterns to a degree, but it's still possible to find a workaround. The encoded sections of cryptos contain over 800 characters. Within these, David Stein noticed that the letter J appeared most often. However, J also varied in frequency from line to line. Since the pattern was inconsistent, Stein reasoned that the two left-hand quadrants of cryptos didn't contain just one code. They held four. 
Using the frequency of the letter J as his guide, Stein split up the 800-odd characters into four distinct sections. He called these K1, K2, K3, and K4. For Stein, this was a massive break. With the tableaus and the sectioned-off codes, cryptos began to make sense. By 1998, David Stein felt certain that he'd solved K1, K2, and K3. And he'd done it all by hand, using nothing more than scratch paper, a pencil, and his own mind. But for some reason, Stein kept his discovery a secret. While he pored over the still-unsolved K-4, a military computer scientist transcribed the encoded text of cryptos and made it available to the public. Suddenly, the sculpture wasn't just a CIA obsession. It was open to everyone. Mere months after Stein decrypted K-1, K-2, and K-3, he found himself competing against a supercomputer. Coming up, we discover three of crypto's hidden messages. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hakeman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed, confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. And now, back to the story. In 1990, a statue was unveiled at the CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia. Called Cryptos, the sculpture was covered in more than 800 seemingly random letters. Jim Sanborn, its creator, hid four secret messages in the text. David Stein, a CIA analyst working to solve cryptos, called these hidden messages K1, K2, K3, and K4. Stein believed he had solved the first three ciphers by hand. But unbeknownst to him, a military computer scientist had leaked the statue's text on the internet, making cryptos puzzles available to the world. Before long, an amateur codebreaker named Jim Galogli came across the encryption online. He became obsessed with cracking the codes, and he used something David Stein didn't, a computer. Galogli created a program specifically designed to decode ciphers. At the time, this was very new technology, and Galogli had to understand the visionaire tableaus and the structure of crypto's hidden messages to make it work. 
1999, Gologly input Crypto's bizarre encoded text into his decryption program, and out popped the answers. Or rather, the answers to K1, K2, and K3. Not even Gologly's computer could decode K4. With three solutions in hand, Gilogli wrote to the New York Times. He had done it. He had decoded 75% of cryptos. Shortly after, the Times published Gilogli's proposed answers to cryptos. When CIA analyst David Stein read the article, frustration bubbled up inside him. He'd solved the first three quadrants a year earlier using only his mind. Now Gologly was getting all the credit. But as it turned out, Gologly and Stein weren't the only ones working to crack cryptos. And Stein wasn't the first to crack the codes. Not long after the New York Times article, the United States National Security Agency put out an announcement of their own. Their codebreakers had solved K1, K2, and K3 over five years earlier, in the early 1990s. Like Stein, they'd simply kept their results secret until now. Competitive spirits aside, this was an important revelation. Three independent groups using vastly different methods came up with the exact same answers. This meant their solutions were almost certainly correct. And yet, somehow, knowing the solutions to three of the messages only raised more questions. Decrypted, the first section read, quote, Between subtle shading and the absence of light lies the nuance of occlusion, end quote. Sanborn intentionally placed typos in the cipher to throw people off. The word occlusion is meant to be illusion. As for what the passage meant, nobody was certain. Crypto's answers could include life-changing information, world secrets, or they could be a meaningless punchline to the world's most complicated joke. The only person who knew for sure was Jim Sanborn, and his lips were sealed. So, motivated by the challenge, people continued digging. K2 was significantly longer. For those curious, the whole text can easily be accessed online. But it includes passages like, Does Langley know about this? They should. It's buried out there somewhere. Who knows the exact location? Only WW. The section appeared to be a transcription of a dialogue, and it included the coordinates of CIA headquarters itself. This could have been a wink to those attempting to solve the puzzle, since Sanborn anticipated CIA operatives would be the first to solve the code. Alternatively, phrases like buried out there somewhere led some to suggest cryptos could be a complex map pointing to buried treasure. K2 also mentioned WW, the initials of William Webster, the contemporary head of the CIA at the time. Sanborn confirmed that this was indeed a reference to Webster, but the artist remained silent on all other speculation. Lastly, there was K3. This section began dramatically with references to the creaking open of an ancient tomb. 
The full text described a mysterious scene with flickering candles and a dark, mist-filled room. But unlike K-1 and K-2, this wasn't an original passage from Sanborn. It was a paraphrased section of an archaeologist's account of discovering Egyptian King Tutankhamun's tomb. Once again, an allusion to a treasure of sorts. Even with all this information, the true meaning of cryptos remained elusive. It all seemed fairly esoteric. But there was still one code left to crack. K-4 was still a mystery. K-4 is made up of crypto's final 97 characters. And every human mind and computer that tried to solve it came up short. For all intents and purposes, it appeared to be unsolvable. Which is why some speculated that K-4 might have included a mistake. Many codebreakers pointed out that Sanborn was a novice encryptor. He might have made an error that resulted in K-4 being impossible to decode. This idea makes sense. After all, CIA employees walked past cryptos for more than a decade without managing to solve it. It seemed unthinkable that an untrained artist could dupe some of the best minds and computer technology in the world. Eventually, Sanborn revealed that he did make a mistake. Somehow, he forgot to put an S toward the end of K2. This wouldn't drastically change the meaning, but it does imply that he could have made other errors too. But according to Sanborn, the missing S was his one and only mistake, and K4 was entirely possible to solve. And if people didn't believe him, he had an expert to back him up. Edward Scheidt, the former CIA director who assisted Sanborn's cryptography, vouched for him. He insisted that the code was, in fact, breakable. The sculpture wasn't a problem. The only problem was, nobody had solved it yet. With this revelation, the mystery hit a dead end. Public interest faded, until a year later, when someone new decided to try and solve cryptos. In late 1999, the hacker convention Freaknik created a cryptology competition for its attendees. Representatives wrote a complex encrypted message that had absolutely nothing to do with cryptos and challenged people to break it. But like cryptos, nobody could seem to solve the cipher. A year went by, and some Freaknik reps brought their code to DragonCon, another pop culture convention. This time, they sweetened the pot. Anyone who solved the code would win a prize, a free trip to an upcoming hacking convention. Alanka Dunin, a 41-year-old video game developer, took the challenge. The cipher had multiple layers, codes within codes, red herrings, and dead ends. One such dead end led to the CIA's website and their information about cryptos. This was the first time Alanka heard about the enigmatic sculpture. After 10 days of work, Alanka solved Freaknik's encryption and won the prize. Even though the reference to cryptos had been nothing more than an inside joke for the writers, Alanka found herself engrossed by the CIA's sculpture and the challenge it posed. By the early 2000s, the entire text of Cryptos was easily accessible on the CIA's website. 
But in spite of her code-breaking prowess, Alanka couldn't make heads or tails of K-4. So she looked into the man behind the mystery, the artist Jim Sanborn. She created a website where she could post old artworks by Sanborn online and compile any new information that might be relevant to Kryptos' encryptions. Over time, her site gained a small internet following and eventually included Jim Sanborn himself. After seeing the work being poured into his work, Sanborn reached out to Alanka. But even after becoming friendly, Sanborn still remained tight-lipped about K4's secrets. He didn't want to play favorites. Never one to be discouraged, Alanka set her sights on seeing the statue in person. Perhaps the CIA headquarters or grounds held some sort of clue she'd missed. In late 2001, Alanka flew to Washington, D.C. and attempted to enter the CIA headquarters at Langley. Alanka asked several guards if there were any public tour days or if she could enter with the permission of a congressperson. But security officers refused to grant entry to anyone without official business. Alanka left disappointed, but immediately started formulating a new plan. If she didn't have any official business with the CIA, she could simply invent some. Strangely enough, the current war on terror in the Middle East gave Alanka a unique opportunity. At the time, Al-Qaeda was rumored to be using a form of encryption called steganography. Steganography involves hiding messages inside other non-secret text or data. The goal is to obscure the fact that a hidden message is being sent at all. For example, a seemingly normal computer file might reveal a secret if a user right-clicks in a certain spot or examines the file's source code. Through self-study, Alanka became something of an expert on steganography. So much so, conventions and universities eventually asked her to lecture on the subject. During one talk, she added a slide of cryptos and mentioned wanting to speak at the CIA headquarters. Afterward, a guest approached her with life-changing news. He worked at Langley and could get Alanka in. Arriving at CIA headquarters with a guest pass in hand was a dream for Alanka. For the time, she could see the object of her fascination with her own eyes. Filled with excitement, she examined the grounds, then photographed and traced the statue. In the end, though, getting close to cryptos didn't bring her any nearer to solving K4. But Elanka didn't give up. Once again, she switched tactics. She collected all the information she had about cryptos on her website. Slowly but surely, she helped build a network of people to help solve the puzzle. With its international profile and the information on Alonka's website, Cryptos gained a massive following. By 2002, over 2,000 hobbyists were determined to decode K4. And by 2006, they had the most useful tool of all. Jim Sanborn was finally ready to help them decrypt the puzzle. Coming up, enthusiasts follow clues left by the sculptor himself. And now, back to the story. In the early 2000s, following information collected by Alanka Dunin, enthusiasts searched for answers to K4. 
the elusive final puzzle of the CIA's crypto sculpture. Even with over 2,000 people trying to decrypt the message, K4 remained indecipherable. There were simply too many hurdles to jump. Firstly, K4 only contained 97 characters. The shorter an encoded phrase, the harder it is to pinpoint patterns and the more difficult it is to solve. Using tricks like letter frequency didn't work on K4 because no clear patterns stood out. Frustrated with the lack of progress, Alonka reached out to the National Security Agency to see their notes on cracking cryptos. Initially, they refused, claiming the secret was a matter of national security. But this only enticed Alonka more. Confused and intrigued, Alonka filed a Freedom of Information Act request. After years of bureaucratic setbacks, they released their notes. The NSA had solved K1, K2, and K3 in a matter of months. But even they still had yet to decrypt K4. But there was reason for Alonka to be hopeful. After over a decade of silence, Jim Sanborn, the artist himself, had apparently become impatient. He was ready to weigh in on the mystery. In 2006, he corrected the last few words of K2's proposed solution. Both Stein and Gologli suggested the answer included the phrase, ID by Rose. But according to Sanborn, it should have read, X layer two. For years, people hadn't questioned Stein or Gologli's work. In theory, this should have brought everyone closer to cracking the rest of the codes. But in practice, All it seemed to do was replace one confusing passage with another. It didn't shed any light on the overall meaning. Hobbyists continued their quest for answers. Sanborn and Alonka both received countless calls and emails from people claiming they'd solved K4, but nobody could prove it. And every now and then, Sanborn met with Alanka's Cryptos fan club to field questions about the sculpture. He would selectively answer certain inquiries. Altogether, Sanborn offered four hints about K4. In 2010, he stated that certain letters decrypted meant Berlin. Four years later, in 2014, he said that the word after Berlin is clock. Finally, in 2020, he revealed that a portion of K4 read East-Northeast. Of the little we know about K4, these phrases sound like directions. East-Northeast and Berlin clock might point to a location. Some keen-eyed cryptographers took this even further. They suggested that this wasn't a reference to just any Berlin clock, but to the Berlin Uhr. This specific clock measures time using set theory, which is the mathematical practice of subdividing numbers into groups of objects. The Berlin Uhr is made up of a series of blinking lights. Two rows of lights represent hours, and those underneath represent minutes. Codebreakers asked Sanborn about the Berlin Uhr. The artist reportedly sounded pleased when he replied, there are many interesting clocks in Berlin. Indeed, there are. Besides the Berlin Uhr, the city is home to another unique timepiece called the Clock of Flowing Time. 
This clock is three stories tall and tells time using the flow of water. Perhaps the answer to K4 has something to do with one or both of these clocks. But it's also possible that Jim Sanborn referenced the German city for another reason. He revealed that the country was on his mind as he crafted the sculpture because the Berlin Wall had fallen the year before. Still another possibility is that K4 contains an esoteric reference, like K3's exploration of King Tut's tomb. Unsurprisingly, Alonka wasn't satisfied with this speculation. She wondered if the answer to K4 might lie in Sanborn's other sculptures. The artist made two encrypted pieces after Kryptos. One is called Antipodes, and the other is titled The Cyrillic Projector. Antipodes was essentially a recreation of Kryptos, but with K1 through K4 in a different order, a few added periods, and a new portion of the text. This new section was written in Russian using the Cyrillic alphabet. This fascinated the codebreakers, since the Russian text could potentially imply another Cold War-era connection to the CIA, cryptography, or possibly even Berlin. But when decrypted, Antipodes offered no new information. Its codes were almost identical to those of cryptos. The Cyrillic projector, on the other hand, held an entirely new code. Alanka hoped solving these puzzles would give her and other codebreakers the insight they needed to finally crack K4. They found that the artwork contained a couple of bizarre messages. The first was an instruction to spies, telling them to psychologically control sources of information. The second was a quotation of KGB documents discussing a defector named Sakharov. It was fascinating, but it didn't seem to hold any clues to cryptos. K4 remained elusive. Since cryptos is uniquely difficult to unravel, some people believe there must be a payoff in the end, a prize for solving the decades-old puzzle. Much like K2 seemed to suggest, it's possible that the sculpture leads to some sort of hidden treasure. However, the evidence for such a prize is thin. Alanka speculated that the CIA grounds might contain a buried chest of trinkets, but she couldn't find any hard evidence to support her theory. Either way, the vast majority of Alanka's cryptos network doesn't want a secret prize. They're mostly interested in solving the puzzle for the thrill and, of course, bragging rights. Many continue to believe that the area around the sculpture holds a clue to the mystery. One article in the Smithsonian Magazine suggested that the petrified wood, slabs of granite, and small pond in the central CIA campus all have a connection to the puzzle. Another clue is that the decoded text holds a riddle. Jim Sanborn has said that the sculpture's true meaning can only be known once all four ciphers are solved, then considered as a whole. And there is one more hint. Besides Jim Sanborn, there's one other person who knows the answer to cryptos, William Webster. William Webster was the director of the CIA in 1990. And, as we mentioned, he's also the WW referred to in K2. 
Apparently, Sanborn trusted Webster enough to give him an envelope containing the solutions to all four ciphers. Unsurprisingly, Webster has said that the answer to K4 is hard to understand. All this ambiguity makes the process of unraveling cryptos even more frustrating. But maybe finding an answer isn't the point. Sanborn didn't create cryptos to start a treasure hunt. He wanted to make a compelling puzzle. The thrill of unraveling ciphers is something both he and the Cryptos fan club do for the sheer pleasure of it. And the reason a CIA employee hasn't solved it is probably because they have more pressing concerns. Over 30 years have passed since the creation of Cryptos. Jim Sanborn is now 75 years old, and reporters frequently ask him if he ever plans to reveal his secrets. Sanborn has suggested that he'll auction off the solution and use the money to fund climate research. But he's also said that he finds something cathartic about how long the puzzle has gone unsolved. Every artist strives to make an impression. Cryptos has kept its relevance for decades. The statue has inspired many to take up cryptography and find new ways to look at old puzzles. This hobbyism will spur a new generation of programmers, hackers, and artists. In this way, a tidy answer can never be as fulfilling as an unanswered question. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with a new episode. For more information on cryptos, amongst the many sources we used, we found Alanka Dunin's website extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Matthew Teamstra, with writing assistance by Karis Allen and Andrew Messer, fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein, and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Thank you.